0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the season one finale episode of Crime Family. So, this week will be a two part episode, and we'll be discussing one of the most bizarre and mysterious unsolved murder cases in America. Um, with very few answers and countless questions about the events surrounding this crime and who is responsible for it, there is plenty to discuss. This is the John Bonet Ramsey case. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We're very happy to have you with us. And for this special two-part episode, we do have a very special guest with us. We have Jennifer Knowles joining us. Jennifer, how are you doing?
1: Hey,
2: I'm good. How are you?
0: I am good. Uh, Jennifer, for those of you who don't know, is a close friend of mine. Um, I was actually thinking, I'm like, I feel like our friendship is probably about as old as this unsolved murder case. So it goes back like nearly 20, over 20 years. So, um, Yeah, yeah.
2: pretty much is at this point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so we just thought it'd be fun to have an extra voice on the podcast to give um, another opinion, um, other insight, so we've all watched different documentaries, we've all read different articles and stuff, so we're excited to kind of hear what everyone thinks about the case. So, kind of similar to what I did in the two-part Adnan Syed episode, because it's such a well-known case, I'm not going to spend a ton of time going into every last detail of, like, the exact timeline but i'm just going to give like a general overview of the case to start um just to give you the major events that happened and like what case entails just so that if you aren't super familiar with it you can still follow along with the discussion or if you just are familiar with it you just need a refresher um so and i'll just talk about like the main players involved so that the people we're talking about you know like who they are so i'm just going to start maybe like five ten minutes just to do just this general overview but i guess i want to ask like what do you guys are how familiar are you with the case like before we decided that we were gonna discuss it like did you know a lot about it beforehand or is it kind of like newer for you guys
3: yeah i definitely knew about it beforehand but before obviously before we decided to do it i didn't go in depth into detail i probably watched like a documentary here and there but now i definitely feel like i i'm up to speed on a lot of stuff
4: yeah, I know a lot of um, a lot about it too, but um, I first heard it like a while back, and I just kept getting more interested in. So I kept watching stuff and reading stuff about it. But recently, I've been watching the newer documentaries and the newer stuff that's been out around it. I mean, it's the same information, but just um, different people um, talking about it. So I'm pretty much caught up on like all the details and stuff like that. So I'm interested to talk about the case.
2: Yeah, I knew a little bits about it here and there, but I wasn't really in-depth with the detail of it, but definitely since we were discussing this, I've, like, went down a rabbit hole through looking at theories on Reddit and uh, watching all the documentaries and stuff, so I'm definitely more up to speed about it than I was before.
0: So I'm actually going to just talk about the family itself. So there were four people in the immediate family. So of course there was JonBenet Ramsey. She was a six-year-old girl um, and the family lived in Boulder, Colorado at the time that all of this happened in December of 1996. Uh, JonBenet's mother, her um, name was Patricia Patsy Ramsey, and she was actually a former beauty queen who was in the pageant circuit uh, for a lot of her like upbringing and into her adult life. So this was a, this was something that she passed on to Bonnet because Bonnet herself was heavily involved in the child beauty pageant scene as well. Um, so Jamboday's father, John Ramsey, actually had uh, a couple of children from a previous marriage and one of his daughters actually tragically died in 1992 in a deadly car accident. So there were some like step siblings involved in the family, but they weren't obviously a part of the major core of the family that involved in this case um and then the fourth member of the immediate family was burke ramsey and he was john bonnet's nine-year-old brother at the time that this happened so uh it all begins on christmas day of 1996 uh so this was later on in the day the ramsey family had actually gone over to a friend's house for dinner and then returned back to their own home later that evening Reports say that John Bonet was asleep upon the revival back home, so John and Patsy put her to bed, not knowing that it was going to be the last time that they would see her alive. Or was it? I don't know. That's up for debate. So around 5.30 a.m. on December 26th, Patsy got up to make coffee and came across a two and a half page handwritten ransom note near the bottom of a spiral staircase that was leading to the kitchen. So obviously after reading this note, she was horrified. She rushed to JonBenet's bedroom and was horrified to realize that JonBenet was missing. Um, so of course, it's like her worst nightmare. This is something you would, you know, you see in movies or on TV, you know, this Ransom notes. There's a kidnapping. It's a kind of a uh, mother's worst nightmare. So at 5:52 a.m., Patsy makes a frantic 911 call, and uh, we're actually going to play uh, that 911 call for you now, just so that you can be familiar with it because it's pretty um, important in the overall case. So we're going to play that for you now.
1: Police, on at five fifteenth Street. What's going on there now? We have a kidnapping. Hi, please explain to me what's going on, okay? There, we have a there's a note left, and our daughter has gone. A note was left, and your daughter is yes. gone. How old is your daughter? She's six years old. She's blonde. Six years old. How long ago was this? I don't know. I just found the note. So my Does it say who took her? What? Does it say who took her? I don't know. It's, there's, a, there's a ransom note here. It's a ransom note? It says SBTC. Victory. Okay. Please. Okay, what's your name? Are you... Kathy Ma- Ramsey, I'm the mother. Oh, my God. Please. I'm Okay, I'm sending an officer over, okay? Please. Do you know how long she's been gone? No, I don't. Please, we just got out, and she's not right here. Oh my God! Please. Okay. Please somebody. I am, honey. Please take a deep breath. Please. please. Okay. Hurry, hurry! Patsy. Patsy, Patsy,
0: Patsy, Patsy. So immediately after that nine one one call at approximately five fifty four a.m., Patsy actually calls some family friends to inform them of what is going on as well, and she invites them over to the house, which is kind of weird that that would be like her next move would be to call the family friends um so the police officially arrive on the scene at approximately 5 59 a.m that morning the police are obviously there do, they're doing the initial investigation and then a, a little after 6 a.m is when all of the friends come over to the house and they're trying to like comfort um patsy and john and you know just trying to figure out what's going on um so there's a lot of people going in and out of that house during this time and of course the first detectives are there at this time as well um and there are some reports that say that john was making some plans to pay the ransom that was in the note um and then later in the day there was detective linda arndt and she's like one of the main detectives um on this day and she asked if john and fleet white who was one of the family friends that was there would just look around the house to see if anything seemed amiss and uh according to detective arndt's uh, account, She said that right after she said this, John sort of made a beeline for the basement. So he and his friend Fleet go down into the basement and they end up coming upon a like closed door in one section of the basement. And the detectives had actually earlier that morning when they first got there, when they were checking the house, they did come across this door, but they were more looking for signs of forced entry and they could see that the door was clearly latched shut. So it wasn't really of any interest to them. So, When John and his friend go down, they do open up this closed door. When they go in there, sure enough, they do find the body of six-year-old John Benet on the ground inside that room. And her torso is covered with a white blanket. So John picked her up and immediately brought her upstairs. And this immediately um, disrupts critical evidence, you know, tampers with the crime scene, you know, obviously shouldn't be touching anything or disrupting the very critical evidence that could be there. Um, and he later down on the floor in the main, um, in the main, one of the main rooms and then actually Detective Arndt actually picks her up again and moves her to another room and then John puts a blanket over her um, in that room. So there's a lot of, you know, tampering with the body and stuff like that. So she was found with duct tape over her mouth. Her hands were bound together and up over her head and there was a homemade uh, garrote uh, tied around her neck. So, for those of you who don't know what a garotte is, it's like a fancy way of like an instrument for use for strangulation. You know, you like you tie the wooden thing around it and then you twist it. And as you twist it, the more you twist it, the tighter it gets and eventually suffocates the person. Um, so it was a homemade garotte that was found around her neck at the time. And so when they did obviously an autopsy of the body, they did find that there was about an eight and a half inch um skull fracture um, in JonBenet's head as well and they also found these two I don't want to say abrasions but two marks um, on her side of her back that said they looked similar to something that would be like a like a taser or something of that nature um, they found that on the body as well and they did say um, that there was no And I feel like there's different accounts. Um, There are some reports that say that they did conclude that there was a sexual assault that happened, but then there was others that said there was no definitive. They couldn't. They say it couldn't be ruled out, but it also couldn't be definitively said. And there was an interview of from uh, the detective Linda Arndt that she did in '99, so still quite a while ago. Um, But she's talking about how the evidence showed, or in her experience, that. Um, there was evidence to show that it, if, that there was a sexual assault and that it wasn't the first sexual assault. So kind of implying that it had, she had been previously sexually assaulted before the actual murder had happened, like before the day of. So take that for what it's worth. I don't know if she's actually, if she's redacted that statement since, but it was from 99. So um, yeah, so of course this case blew up and became like a, a whole sensation. Everyone was... You know, um, it happened in Boulder, Colorado, and there was, you know, everyone in Boulder was very worried if there was, like, this predator that was, you know, in the neighborhood who was, you know, possibly a sex offender who was going around, um, going to be breaking into homes. So there was no forced entry into the home, except there was a broken window in the basement. Um, and this was a window that had actually broken Prior, um, John said he had broken it. Uh, he had gotten locked out of the house, so he had like had to break that window to get into the house or something. And they just had never gotten around to actually fixing it. So there was that broken window. Um, but other than that, there was no other sign of force entry. And there was only four people who were known to be inside that house um, on the night of the murder, which would have been the four people in the immediate family. Um, and initially the the family was cooperative they did agree to give blood samples and handwriting handwriting samples as well as hair samples um so in the initial first few days and weeks they were cooperative but then as the months go on they are becoming less and less cooperative they are getting lawyers and they're trying to you know tell their friends and friends and family members to not speak to the media not go to the police not say anything um so that's a lot of it is kind of surrounding this sort of suspicion as well as to why they're not being as cooperative as maybe they could have been. Um, Like what changed in like the first couple of weeks to the, the months after when they started to not meet with the police as much or kind of be avoidant, they did go on some, you know, they did do a CNN interview like a 45 minute CNN interview where they're talking about that there's someone out there on the loose to like protect your children, stuff like that. Um, So there was a lot of suspicion surrounding the parents specifically in the first um like few weeks of the investigation and i've obviously up until now it's 20 25 years later and it's still kind of sus- suspicious um there was actually in 1999 there was actually a grand jury that did vote to indict uh john and patricia ramsey for the murder of john Bennett ramsey um However, the district attorney decided not to move forward with those charges, and so they were never actually charged. But when he came up, he did give a a press conference at the time saying that there was not sufficient evidence to press charges, but he kind of withheld the information or the fact that a grand jury had voted to indict. So they did like the initial trial with the grand jury and they came to that conclusion, but he didn't share that information. He just said that there was not enough evidence to actually press charges. So he kind of put the kibosh on that and there were no official charges laid. And as of today, there is still, it's still unsolved. We don't know exactly who committed this murder and there's multiple theories happening. If it was someone in the home, if it was someone in the family, if it was an intruder that came in like through that broken window, lots of stuff. So obviously that's like very bare bones sort of description of the case. We're going to go into like the key pieces of evidence um, that are involved in the case into more detail. Um, but do you guys have any like initial additions you want to? make or thoughts before we get into the other stuff.
3: I actually just wanted to like to describe what, like a a grand jury was cuz when I was I was like what is actually a grand jury and what's like their significance? Like so would you guys even know how to like explain what an, a grand jury is and why they're important?
0: Not. I couldn't articulate it correctly or officially. Okay. So you could yeah.
3: Yeah, so I'm just going to describe what a grand jury is just so like you understand like kind of the importance especially in this case. So I'm just going to read most of this, like, word for word from this article um, from the Denver Post online, and it's written by Mary George. (laughs) And this article is actually, like, about the Ramsey Grand Jury. So in general, a grand jury is a group of citizens that works with a prosecutor to investigate crimes and attempt to establish probable cause for trial. So it's, like, preliminary before a trial even starts. And the grand jury has powers that police and district attorneys do not so they can subpoena reluctant witnesses or people that refuse to talk initially to investigators so this grand jury could subpoena john and patsy ramsey if they felt the need to which is interesting a grand jury like also lets a prosecutor know how strong the case is It's kind of like a trial run before an actual trial to see how the grand jury reacts is maybe how an actual jury trial would go. So it's kind of like insight for the prosecutor. And so in this case, when they did want to indict, it's like the grand jury saying, yes, like there's enough evidence. We feel like this is definitely worth going to court. But then the prosecutor, who is Alex Hunter in this case, went against that, which is interesting to note. So, yeah, that's what a grand jury is
0: yeah and so i think the fact that a grand jury voted to indict them is very telling obviously of the amount of evidence that there would have had to have been or that they felt was strong enough to actually vote to indict them so it's kind of telling to show you how confident they were in that but i find it weird so a grand jury it's just it's made up of like regular people right that like a normal jury would be right it's just like people that they select from a pool and
3: Yes, citizens, like, so yeah. Citizens, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, okay. probably get called to jury duty.
0: But I think, like, that information that they were actually indicted came out later. Like, no one really knew that that had happened until much later on. Because all they knew was that the district attorney had made that press a conference. Because in the documentary that I watched, it said that he kind of, like, was misleading in the information that he gave. Because he did say that, like, there was not enough sufficient evidence to go forward with it. But that was, like, his decision. Whereas the grand jury actually felt that there was and voted to indict but he kind of overrides it. I get that's the impression I got, which I didn't think it's possible if a grand jury has that much power. I can't see that a district attorney would be able to like shoot it down, but
3: yeah, I think they're just there to give insight and like this is what we think you should do, but they don't have to listen to it. But I feel like normally they do. That's the whole point of a grand jury. Um yeah, I do have this in my notes somewhere about how long after this actually came out cuz he the way he talked about it in the press conference was yeah, like he was saying that it almost sounded like the grand jury feels like we shouldn't go ahead with an indictment that's what everybody thought but yeah so according to um, the documentary from CBS called the case of John JonBenet Ramsey it didn't get released that the grand jury had actually um, wanted to indict until October of 2015 so that's kind of crazy it's
0: like almost 20 years after that crime but sixteen years. Yeah, after. It,
3: it would have been like what, like?
0: Because the crime happened in ninety six, so that would have been almost twenty years. But the indictment would have happened in ninety nine, I think. Grand jury. Yeah, he made the that. announcement
3: that they weren't going to indict in nineteen ninety nine, yeah. and then it came out later that they actually wanted to indict in twenty fifteen.
0: Yeah, which is crazy. So I guess that's kind of a lesson to show you that you have to have DAs that. Aren't corrupt because <laughs> maybe he had other political motivations for why he didn't want to press charges or something. Who knows? And also, I don't know. I'm just, like the Ramsays were very well off, so who knows, like what lawyer they had or.
3: You know. No, actually, that you <laughs> um, that you say that it was political because when like the team, there was like a team of detectives and there was FBI agents and there was personnel from the DA's office. They all got together and suggested that they needed a grand jury and the DA, who was Alex Hunter at the time, was like, oh, I gotta think about this. I gotta talk to some people because this is actually a political decision rather than, you know, there's a there was a murdered girl kind of decision. So that's kind of where his head was at the whole time was that it was political.
0: Yeah, which is so annoying because it shouldn't be, it should just be like, there's a six-year-old who was murdered and if there's enough evidence to suggest who could have done it, like, how's that a political thing? But whatever, it's politics, I guess. But yes, vote for good DAs. Gonna go to the ransom note, which is like to me the most bizarre, fascinating. Like to me, that's what makes the case so crazy and like stands out from so many other cases. Is like very rarely do you have like a ransom note, especially one that's two and a half pages long and as in depth, and also just super fucking like weird, (laughs) just like the way it's written and stuff in it. So I'm gonna read the ransom note out and just so that everyone who's listening can like be fresh with what exactly what it says and then we're going to go into like the specific details of like maybe evidence they found surrounding that and like the super weird things that are connected with that so i'm just gonna read that now mr ramsey listen carefully we are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction we respect your business but not the country that it serves at this time we have your daughter in our possession she is safe and unharmed And if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attaché to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money, and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement, countermeasures, and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory. SBTC. So, what do you guys think of that? There's like so much to like talk about. I don't, yeah.
4: I just want to say that nobody writes a two and a half page ransom note. No, aren't ransom notes usually like a couple sentences like give me this amount of money and then, you get your child back or whoever
0: yeah well in the, in the documentary like the CBS documentary The Case of John JonBenet Ramsey they do mention like I think at one point they say about 76% of the ransom note is filler and it's not necessary uh, they say that it could have been done in like four lines like we have your daughter give us this amount of money put it in a brown paper bag we'll call you tomorrow done like all that other stuff is like so unnecessary and also just a, a bit of information as well so they during the investigation they did find out that the letter was actually written inside the home which is also super crazy so the the ransom note was written on a piece of paper from a pad that was in the in the home as well as a marker that was in the home as well and they actually found in the trash like some crumpled up pieces of paper that were from a practice version of the note so it's as if somebody like wrote out a couple of tries and practice, tried to get it right. And then wrote the actual letter. So my question is what kind of person who's going to break into a house is going to take the time to sit down and write a letter that's three pages long. And then also write practice versions of that letter. Like isn't time of the essence when you're, if you're breaking into someone's house, like
3: also in the documentary, they did like a practice to see how long it would take them to write the note. And it took them over 20 minutes to get that note out. And that was like them knowing what to write and just sitting there, copying it rather than like, you know, trying to think of it, think of it as they went. So that would have taken even longer. And for yeah, like you said, someone to write out a practice would even take even longer. I think it's important to note that they said that that was Patsy's notepad because her fingerprints were all over it. And it was found at her writing desk, so it wasn't like they just brought that in. Uh, like the maybe the kidnappers brought it in, wrote it, and left it there. Like her fingerprints were all over it, so it was her notepad, which is super sus.
0: But I don't. But I don't understand why wouldn't you have a a ransom note written in advance? Like, to me, that's so weird. Like, aren't you just going to go in there, like, take her, leave the note? You're just going to, like, sit there casually in the kitchen writing this note out. Like, to me, that just seems so bizarre. And I can't even think of, like, any, like, person, even if they are quite stupid, who's going to do that.
2: Well, even in a situation like that, like if they were to write them the ransom note on the spot, it would be much more frantic. It would be much more messy. Um, and again, it would only be like four or five lines. You'd be done.
0: Like, what was the point of all of that? Like, what was the point of that three page thing? Like, like I said, you could write it in four lines. Like,
3: yeah, like get in, get out. That'd be my mentality. Like, get the fuck out of here as soon as I can. Like, don't sit there and chill for a little bit and think about what I'm going to write and practice it. Like, you know, yeah, like bring the note with you or yeah, this is what I have to do and then get out. They also
4: mentioned in that documentary, the case of John uh, John JonBenet Ramsey, that some of the things that were said in the Ransom Note were parts of movies.
0: And they say like a lot of the stuff in the Ransom Note is from the 1972 movie Dirty Harry. So I guess they would like and then that documentary, they show excerpts of like the script of that movie. And there is similar things like she dies, she dies, she dies, like written over and over and over again, like very similar to the letter so then it kind of makes you think it's like is all of this just like some coded thing like is it supposed to like mean something that only someone like you know what i mean like is it coded somehow because i can't think of any reason why someone would write all those details out that are unnecessary unless you were trying to send a message of some sort like you know what i mean
3: they already said that she was going to be beheaded if you did this and she was going to die if you did this like why well, say it over and over again they're thinking like you know if someone's reading this now you really just have to say it once to get the point across Especially if it's someone's daughter, they're going to get the point.
0: And also, like could talk about the fact that, like, what's the point of the ransom note? Like, she wasn't kidnapped. She was in the house the whole time. They murdered her in the house and left her in the basement. So why? what's the point of the ransom note? Was it just a distraction? Was it just so that people would be thinking it was something that it wasn't? Because, like, if she had actually been kidnapped and taken out of the house, then okay. But, like, why leave the note and then kill her and still leave the note?
3: Well, my initial thoughts were that they that was going to be the plan was to kidnap her, and maybe they hit her over the head, and realized that she was dead or dying after they had written the note, and they're like, "Well, I'm just going to get out of here," rather than pack up all their notes (laughs) and get out. I don't know. Like if that actually is what happened, I feel like that they didn't mean for her to die, but she did, so they just left it. I don't know.
4: And I also like like the amount of money was like wasn't it like the exact the Christmas bonus that John had gotten. Or something similar to that.
0: Yeah, like, so he, had like rec- he had recently gotten like a bonus at work that was very close to that amount.
4: So why like that exact amount? Normally it's like it's just so specific the amount.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's exact, it's not like it's a hundred thousand dollars or like two hundred thousand. It's one hundred eighteen.
3: Well, yeah, and they said are gonna they say if you're gonna bother going through with this, if you're a kidnapper, like go big, right? Like why not just like an even million or something? Like why that amount? Fi-
4: because they were wealthy. So they think like one hundred eighteen. It doesn't really seem like
3: a lot of money. Yeah, you're but money? but if you are asking for ransom and you are going to do this, why not ask for more?
0: Yeah, like it's if money wasn't maybe money wasn't the motive. They were just doing the ransom like the money thing for like whatever. But maybe it was just a bigger thing, and they didn't care about the money, so they're just like making a random amount. But how would someone know that exact amount was his bonus? Like, it has to be someone who knew him or someone who was like, what is what are the chances the coincidence that they pick a random number that just happens to be the same amount as his bonus? To me, that seems like a very odd coincidence of all the millions of numbers in the world. That it would, like, be almost exactly.
3: Yeah, it's definitely a coincidence. Or it was just stuck in someone's head while they were writing it. Like, they already knew that number. It's weird. Um, I I think another thing to point out about the ransom note was um, during that documentary, they had, like, statement experts and, like, linguistic experts there that were, like, analyzing it. And they found out that it was probably, like, an adult woman that had written the note just by like the language and how clearly it was written in some of the words so I think that's interesting that it was probably a woman that had written the note
0: and they also and they also came to the conclusion that it was very likely staged like it was as an attempt to cover up something and then they say um, like even the language like a small foreign faction like normally you would want to be a little bit more like to say like we are a large terrorist group or like whatever like it's very like authoritative like large group thing versus small foreign faction and then after they mention the foreign faction the first most of the the majority of the spelling mistakes that are in the note come in that same exact paragraph where they mention the foreign thing so like the person who's writing it might think like oh if i say i'm a Like a foreigner, and then I'm going to make all these like spelling mistakes. But then they mention like words like countermeasures, like that's spelled totally correctly. Which, like, if your English isn't your first language, a that's not a a word you would ever use. I don't think. Like countermeasure, like
3: I've never used that in my life. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. Like no one, like no one who doesn't. Like I feel like if if English isn't for your first language, that's not going to be your go-to word and and also spell it correctly, but you don't spell business correctly. Like they put an extra S in business. They spelled foreign. I think they're pretty, I'm pretty sure they spelled foreign incorrectly too. Um, So it's like they were trying, it was like obvious that they were trying to make it seem like it was some foreigner who was yeah. writing it.
3: But then they forgot about <clears> it as they went on. Cause no other words are spelled wrong.
0: Yeah. It's pretty clear that it is like a, a up for something, but it, it doesn't really answer like who is the one doing the cover up like i don't know jennifer do you have something to say
2: yeah it's very odd that they spelled all these um common words wrong like business and then they chose to include uh the um accent on apaches like it just doesn't make any sense to me at all
0: uh, like things like that they get perfectly right but then like a super common word like business that they don't
3: like yeah they, that's they spell such a wrong. weird like yeah like detail that you wouldn't think they would know to to do
0: yeah. And like, I think I'm pretty sure like attache, like I looked it up. It's like a briefcase. It's like a certain, it's like similar uh, to a briefcase. It's like a different. So they thought, oh, maybe I'm going to use this word to make it seem like I'm using like the European or like if someone French or something, you know what I mean? Like a word that's not like common. Like I feel like, an, like someone, I don't know, American would say like briefcase. Like I don't think attache is like a typical word that someone would know for, I don't know. So I think it's like it kind of clear that they're trying to cover up for, like, something, and they're not actually someone who speaks a foreign language, to me.
3: Yeah, it definitely seems like it is, like, a ruse to throw people off, and it was unsuccessful. Another weird thing, I think, is, um, well, they don't really go into this into, like, any detail in any of the documentaries I watched, but I'm just like, why don't they do, like, a hand sample analysis and, like, see who's writing it is, and, like, I've seen some people some sources come out and say that they matched it to Patsy's writing so that I don't know how official that is because it really isn't in any of these documentaries but it is you know thrown out there here and there so that's interesting if it was her writing and if they could just be like well it was her writing like I don't know how why it took so long or why it was never fully out there this like sample of and writing. Was-
0: Yeah, well, like, they provided handwriting samples to the police, like, shortly after. But then nothing ever came out, like, from the police saying that it did match, like, directly from them. So you'd think, like, if she, if it did match that closely, that they would have caught that right away. Would they not? But obviously, if she wrote it with, like, her left hand or something, or her other hand, then it wouldn't exactly match. Then if she goes, gives them, like, a handwritten one with her, like, dominant hand.
3: Oh, yeah. And actually, in, like, the Dr. Phil interview with Burke, like, years later, um, he asked Burke about that and he said that he didn't think it was his mother's because he said his mom was always like super like always like make sure you write really neatly and take your time to have good writing and he was like that note was way too messy to be my mom's <laughs> so i mean but if she was trying to cover it up she wouldn't have this perfect writing
0: yeah like she's not gonna like make it like exactly like her cursive writing or whatever the fuck. like obviously it's gonna <laughs> gonna try to make it look different
4: and I was gonna, I was gonna say that, like, they did think it was like a mother who wrote it because just the way some of the things were said, like, listen carefully, or like, like other things in the letter that were like, kind of like a, like what a mother would say. Um, I can't really. Say.
0: Well, there was one that said, like, when you get home, they said yeah. that the word home is very like maternal of a word versus like when you get to your house. But then I was thinking because they were saying that, and I was thinking, yeah, but like when you get home is less words than when you get back to your house. Like maybe they were just trying to cut off time is it already taken so long to write it? Maybe they might as well just like try to make a shortcut when they can. I don't know like to me I wouldn't that wouldn't have jumped out to me but also the people in the documentary are like professional like analysts of handwriting and language so I can't say like oh it didn't it's not weird. If yeah a lot of is.
3: things they said when they were looking at that letter I felt were kind of a stretch. I'd be like oh I never would have thought that but then again I'm not the professional so I guess it makes more sense to them
0: and one of them did say that like they felt that it was very much like a sales job like the the note it was like they were trying to sell it and like trying to sell the with just all like the i don't want to say hyperbole in it it's like she will be beheaded like all of this extra stuff that was totally unnecessary but i just find it's like when you think of the fact that it was written in the home and the practice notes like to me i just can't think of any like obviously you hear some stories of like some stupid people who like Commit like blunders that make it like really obvious who it was, but like I can't think of any person that's going to go in there so disorganized that they're going to like not have an actual letter written out. If they know they're going to be writing a letter, they're not going to have it written out in advance or at least know what they want to say. Like, why do they have to take three drafts before they get it the way they want it? Like,
3: yeah, especially a letter that long. If you, if you want to make up like a point and have a huge long letter, like you would have that ready, I feel. And if not, like you'd write a shorter letter when you're at, actually at the scene.
0: Yeah, like I just think like 20 because like you said in the documentary they timed it out like 21 minutes or slightly over 21 minutes of what it was but that was when they like knew exactly what it was they were just copying it but like even if it was bare minimum 20 minutes plus the practice ones like say it's like a half an hour like that's so much time like it's not a lot of time but it's also so much time like extra time that's so unnecessary if you're worried about like getting the fuck out of there before someone wakes up or something I don't know I could just think of somebody being so brazen that they would actually do that
3: yeah it doesn't make sense logically
0: So, like, that type of stuff makes me think, like, if the family was involved somehow, like, that's the one thing that, the the main thing that makes me think, like, this has to be. And then also being for the person to be so unorganized, too, where it's like, they're going to completely abort the plan that they had originally and, like, leave the note there. Like, to me, it's just, I don't know. They say in the documentary, too, that, like, the note is a red herring. That doesn't really mean anything. And obviously, and in the interview I watched with um, the detective Linda Arndt from 99, she also said that because she was there with the family in those early morning hours. And she said, because in the letter it says between 8 and 10 a.m., they're going to get a call from the people. She said that 10 a.m. came and went and no one mentioned anything about not getting a call, which you'd think, you know, she's like, nobody mentioned. She's like, I don't remember hearing anyone mention like, oh, it's past 10 and they never called. Like, it seemed as almost as if like they weren't expecting the call anyway.
3: Yeah, you'd think they'd be waiting by the phone, like, waiting for these people to get a hold of them. Like, I would be anyway, if I thought my kid was actually kidnapped.
0: And, like, I also think in the letter, it's very clear that it says if you go to the police or if you notify anyone, your daughter will die. The first thing she does is notify the police. The second thing she does is notify all of her friends to come over. Like, to me, it's, like, exactly going against everything in the letter.
3: Yeah, don't have a crowd at your house. That's super obvious. Like, Yeah. I guess that she wants people there for support, for sure. But yeah, it just too much.
0: Yeah, support is one thing. But also, I mean, it is kind of on the police department, too, in a way. It's like, how would they let that many people be in the house at that time? Like, wouldn't they, like, coordinate off with, like, caution tape? Like, get out. Like, why do you have to be in the house? Like, I don't understand how, what, like, detective is going to let, like, a dozen people just be, like, in the house walking all over everything, touching everything. Like to me that's bizarre.
3: Yeah, even when they first thought it was just a kidnapping and they're like, Well, we need to be searching outside the house. Like we're just like gathering our thoughts here, I guess, talking. But you'd think like there'd still be evidence everywhere. So why why is everybody
4: here?
0: So I wanna go the next thing that like we'll talk about is the nine one one call, which obviously we've probably all heard like so many times, that's like the one thing. Every documentary you watch about this case, they're gonna probably play that nine one one call. Um I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, to me, when I first heard it initially, when I hear it, it's like, it sounds very legitimate and very normal, like that somebody would be having those reactions. So then when you watch the documentaries or some of them, when they talk about, because in that documentary, the case of JonBenet Ramsey, like they do interview the 911 dispatcher who talked to her and she's the one saying that she said she felt something was very off from the very beginning of the call. And she notes all the things that she thought were weird, but like, and obviously I'm not, I wasn't the one that she was talking to, so I can't say, but. Nothing in that nine one one call initially stood out to me as weird. I don't know about you guys, like just, and it's hard to like think of it objectively without hearing all the other stuff that people have said about it after. But I'm just thinking like if I listen to that call, just as to what it is, it sounds legitimate to me. Like she's obviously very frantic, which you would expect someone to be.
4: Yeah, when I first when I first listened to it, that's what I thought too. Like this woman just like realize her daughter's missing and like she really sounds frantic but like aj said like after you read or watch documentaries and you read things it kind of changes your mind but that was my first initial thought when i first saw it was like she sounded like a very worried mother
3: and she said she thought it sounded rehearsed which like i mean i don't get that at all even now looking back like listening to that first part of the the tape and stuff it's like it doesn't sound rehearsed it does sound someone frantic and panicked even to me still
0: like I don't know, I don't know what part of that sounded rehearsed at all. What, what's for her? She's not answering the questions that she's being asked. She's not saying anything. Like
2: I don't think any of it sounded rehearsed. It just was odd to me at the very end of the call that she didn't stay on the line until the police got there. Um, usually, that's something you would do if you were in a situation like that. But maybe she wasn't thinking at the moment. She just was like hanging up the phone and had to get back to her family
0: then the the 911 dispatcher also says that she thought she could hear a shift because obviously she stayed on the line um even though patsy thought that the call was hung up when she stays on the line that's when you can hear the extra voices in the background that she said it sounds like there's three two or three different voices that are in the call and then she said that's when she heard like a shift in patsy's voice like the panicked frantic one then suddenly changed to like a more calmer one like after she thought the phone was hung up but i listened to it and i didn't get that at all i don't know it's hard to say when you're not the one who was actually on the line, and I'm sure she would be a better person to talk to about that than like any of our opinions. But like to me, just as a spectator, it's kind of weird. Like I feel like a lot of the things she was saying were just kind of like hearing about how suspicious the family was. It kind of like changed her memory of it to make it more suspicious than it maybe actually was.
3: Yeah, that's possible, and I, like I do agree with her that it's kind of weird that she would hang up in what seemed like the middle of the call. Because as they pointed out in the like, documentary, like while you're on the line with 911, that's kind of like your your hope, like your lifeline. And like the 911 operator never like confirmed the address. She never said, "Okay, I have somebody on the way." Like, stay calm. She never said any of that before she even hung up. Like, you know what I mean? Like she, like Patsy wouldn't have that cue to be like, "Yeah, they're on their way. They're coming." She just kind of hung up anyway. So. Of course, me saying this now, I, I would stay on the line the whole time until the cops got there. But I don't know what I would do in that situation, I guess.
0: And she said she can hear three different voices. And I know the documentary that we all watched, um, the one I keep mentioning, the case of Drummer Ramsey, Ramsey, um, they do kind of like do odd, they do like audio reconfiguration or like um, enhancement, audio enhancement of like those background voices that you can hear. And they think that they can hear adult man so presumably John Ramsey's and they also think they can hear Patsy saying help me jesus what well, she says help me jesus help me jesus like twice um and then they can hear like another voice that sounds like a male voice but like not an adult so obviously like a child saying what did you find um and that's also a point of contention because the the Ramseys have said from the beginning they said that Uh, Burke was sleeping the entire time until, like, hours after the police got there. So, like, this 911 call, if it is his voice in the background, well, then he obviously wasn't asleep for those hours. He was awake during the 911 call, which is... And, like, in any event, like, why... If that was his voice, why would you lie about it? Like, why would you say he was sleeping if he wasn't?
3: Yeah, in that documentary, they also said that... um, John Ramsey said, um, we're not speaking to you. And, like, they said it was kind of like a stern voice like talking to a child like they were angry at him or you know just kind of like trying to tell him that you know you're not involved in this or we're not talking to you whatever so it makes <clears throat> everyone think that they were having this conversation after they thought that she had hung up that they were like talking they were mad at Burke and he was like well what did you find and like it's this whole cover up that you know maybe they're hiding something because Burke did something
4: <laughs> I don't what got me was that nobody ever questioned the 911 dispatcher. Like, not like when I was watching the documentary, the case of Javine Ramsey. Like, they interviewed her, and that was the first time that anybody had asked her questions about the 911 call.
0: Yeah, like that, she said, she wasn't interviewed for the grand jury. Like that whole thing. No one ever asked for her for her testimony or anything, which is that, crazy.
4: That. That's bizarre to me, because normally you'd want to talk to somebody who was, like, right there at the moment of this, when this whole investigation started. Like, you think you'd want to talk to that person on the phone with her. So to me, that just seems really odd that they never even questioned her, or even, like, asked her, like, what she yeah. thought. And, di-
0: and didn't she say she was under a gag order initially, until, like, the trial process was over with that grand jury thing? So, yeah, like, that seems weird to me, like... It's not like an even. I feel like, why would you put her under a gag order unless you felt that the information that she had would be something that would be detrimental? I mean, obviously it didn't matter because they still voted to indict without that testimony, but still. But like, what do you guys think of like, the if you guys listen to that 911 call, just like upfront, like without all the other like opinions after the fact. Like if you say you were the 911 operator, like, I don't know. I think that's a very legitimate call to me. Sounds like a legitimate call that she's a very good actress and maybe that's the case I don't know
4: yeah I thought when I like I said when I when I first listened to it at the very beginning before like I knew any of the other stuff like I thought it was just a legit 911 call like we like most of the 911 calls that we've heard in the cases that we've done like I feel like it was like a legit 911 call I mean that's how I would sound maybe if I was like woke up my daughter wasn't there like I didn't think I didn't find anything wrong with it
3: yeah it definitely sounded legit to me but then i'm thinking well even if she did know that john Bonnet was dead and they were covering something up she could still be really frantic about that but then i'm thinking well if she sat there and wrote that note she would have time to kind of calm down maybe a little bit so i don't know either way i don't know it does sound legit to me but 911 operator did say that she was like frantic and then all of a sudden just kind of turned it off and stopped being frantic when she thought she had hung up, hung up is kind of a good point Right, I mean, just because you're not talking to one 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 operator doesn't mean you're not going to be so flipping, right?
0: Yeah, but like, but like when they kind of like enhance the audio, she's saying "Help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus," like, it, and sounds like in a similar tone. So to me, it doesn't sound like she calmed down at all. I don't know. Like, I don't feel like that's something you would say if you're calm again.
3: I guess maybe yeah, and it wasn't as loud because she probably thought she hung up and then was mo- moved away from the phone, so she was farther away.
0: And also, I do want to mention. Um, I did read a Rolling Stone article about that documentary and it was a little bit, cr- I was a bit critical of the documentary in some parts and it said like the fact that like they're on the screen telling you what they think they hear and then they play it and they put subtitles under it it's like gonna trick your mind into thinking that you're hearing it as well so it might not even be like what it actually is but when you're seeing the subtitles under it you might like, think you hear it if that's not even actually what it is so it could be completely wrong and none of that stuff is actually said
3: that's true i found it hard to hear what they were saying i'm like i don't hear any of that all i hear is like clicking and like gargling i'm like i don't understand how they're i don't have i'm not sitting there with like professional headphones on either listening but I, like yeah i'm like i'm not getting that at all
0: yeah like and even if you even if you play double Africa and you say okay that is exactly what was said and they're like masters at uncovering what was actually said like someone saying we're not speaking to you like what does that mean like I was—I don't find that weird. I don't know.
3: Well, who is he talking to if he's not talking to Burke? Right, like, right, like who are they talking to?
0: Yeah, well, it had to be Burke, right?
3: Yeah, so that's sketchy there because if they say he was asleep the whole time, didn't, didn't know anything about it, then that's like a lie right there. If they're all innocent, why? So
0: yeah, that's true. But it could be a kind of one of those things where it's like maybe if you're like you're kind of working off adrenaline, then you're so frantic, and then when you go back to think of the events you might not remember the exact events like you think you you don't remember seeing Burke in those hours because you were so not focused on that like you're not thinking of like you're probably going to think back like a week after when you're interviewed or something you're not going to be like remembering where was Burke every minute of that time frame so they might think like oh I don't remember really seeing him or interacting with him so he must have been asleep you know what I mean like they were just kind of surmising maybe and then they were actually wrong because it wasn't what they remembered like I'm just trying to play devil's advocate but
3: I guess that's true because like this like um, enhancement of the audio didn't come out until like years later so it's not like somebody went up to and was like no we heard Burke's voice and then that would rejog their memory or something so I guess that does make sense
0: but I I, I mean I also do feel like it's kind of weird for a child to sleep when there's that many people in the house coming and going and police officers and he's gonna sleep because he said that he was awoken hours later like once the police were already there but like why wouldn't he wake up earlier but they do interview him like when the psychologists are interviewing him he says like I, I typically sleep very deeply and i don't really hear much of anything but was that like a line that they were he was told to say potentially allegedly i don't know um yeah everything is alleged here obviously because we we don't know actually what happened and we don't um can't confirm obviously anything but we're just saying our opinions and our thoughts based on the information that's out there just so uh you know
3: (laughs) also um like all the suspicion around burke i mean it feels like a lot for a nine-year-old to kind of get this whole story straight in his head and never slip up like he does stay consistent with his story while he's that young and up until now like he never slips which i feel is like super it's like a lot to ask for a a nine-year-old if his parents are like coaxing him and coaching him on what to say and he doesn't slip up this whole time that's kind of interesting
0: yeah that's true did anyone have anything about the 911 call specifically? No? Okay, so I also want to talk about like the actual discovery of the body because they do talk about that in the documentary too um, and like the tampering of evidence when the body gets moved multiple times um, they say in that documentary that like you said kitty before some of the stuff that they kind of mentioned it seems like a little bit of a stretch uh but they're saying that like he opened the door and the light was off and he knew immediately before the light was even turned on that it was jumping he's like oh she's here but then he turned the light on and saw her and they're like well how would he know that was they're like oh it just looks like a blob of something on the floor like in the dark you can't tell because in the documentary they like recreate the whole entire house like to almost exactly like what it was really like so they kind of walk through the crime scene in the house as if it were the real thing and I don't know. That's one point that they bring up. Um, and they also mentioned that it's very common in like cases where the person who did it is there to like, like stage the finding of the body where other people will witness it so that they can like be witness to someone and the shock and horror when they find it. Um, and that might be why when like he was told to go do a search of the house, he went right for the basement, and made sure like his friend was with him so that there could be like some witness to him seeing it.
4: I just find it i I just find it odd that when they said we're gonna search the house from top to bottom, that he like darted for the basement door. Oh shit! They're gonna look. We'll have to have they look in the basement and they find her? Like he wanted to be be sure that he found her. That's what's suspicious to me. Like he just like, he like, wanted to make sure he like a shot her. in hell. Like, it's like a shot in hell. He went to that door. Yeah. Like he obviously knew she was there.
0: Yeah. She should have said. She said. I said top to bottom, not bottom to top. <laughs> He's going to the bottom first and then like, going making his way up. But maybe he's like he wanted to be the one to find it so that he could make sure that he picked her up so that the crime scene was tampered with. So then like if anything were to come back against them, they could say, oh, well, it wasn't like actually reliable evidence because it was like all a tampered crime scene. So he wanted to make sure that like he was the first one to like get there. Because I think if like the detective had found it, they would have been like, No, no one's gonna come in this room. We're gonna leave it as is. And then there might have been a lot of evidence that would have been there that maybe got you know, contaminated with the moving of the body.
4: But why take the duct tape off her mouth? Though that's what I don't understand. Like to have his fingerprints. Did he on did it he again. take the
0: duct tape off her mouth? Was that? I, it? That's oh, what he they did said oh. in the
4: duct. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, I think he did. Uh, I, even like
3: if he d- did that, even though he didn't know beforehand that she was there I think that would kind of be someone's first thing like oh like, she could still be alive like I have to help her breathe like get this off of her like you'd want to get that stuff away from your daughter right like get this her hands are tied like get that off of her get the duct tape off of her and I think that'd be my initial reaction too also I'm thinking like when he went right straight for the basement it's not like he picked a random room and found her like I was looking at like the, the blue, blueprints of the house that they have online it's like there's like the stairs that are to the north and then he goes right to like the southeast corner so it's kind of like he was starting at like the southeast corner of the house and he was going to like work his way over so it wasn't like it was like the middle he started he's kind of started at one end of the house which kind of makes sense if you were going to search right that's maybe stretching it but it's kind of just to be devil's advocate
0: there and the the autopsy when they did the autopsy the official cause of death was said to be asphyxia by strangulation associated with cranio-cerebral trauma Um, so there was like the blow to the head and there was kind of a little bit of debate between like whether the blow to the head was actually what killed her or if it was the strangulation after. Um, And then I think in that documentary, they do mention that the blow to the head probably would have been enough to kill her so that the strangulation was either like a staging again or it was like they just wanted to make sure because they didn't know or something. And the garrote that was found was actually a homemade one from one of uh, Patsy's paintbrushes. Um, Like the bottom third of the paintbrush was the tool that was used to make it, and then they found like another piece of the paintbrush in like a bathtub that was like filled with art supplies. And then they never found the third part of the broken paintbrush anywhere in the house or anything. Like the fact that they never found that third piece is like that is that like something to show that maybe it was an outside person who took that piece with them. That's why it wouldn't be there. Versus if it was someone in the house who made it right then and there, like all the pieces should be still in the house somewhere, right?
3: Yeah. And I think it's interesting in that documentary, they did say that they, the, the blow to the head was probably first and it didn't kill her, but she was basically like brain dead and she would still have a pulse even if like her brain wasn't alive. So they could have felt her pulse or she could have still been breathing even, even though she like would have been a vegetable. And then that was, they thought maybe she would come back to life. So that's why they strangled her. So it was kind of like she got hit first and then they strangled her just to make sure that she wasn't going to come back is what that documentary is saying anyway. So they're saying both of them would have been deadly on their own and that they were put together.
0: But there was a big um, emphasis in the documentary about possibly the tool that was used to strike her on the head um, being like the flashlight, because there is a flashlight that's in like the crime scene videos that's on the counter there. And the documentary, they do test like the exact, exact replica of the flashlight and the exact, and they like use a mannequin to hit um hit over the head with the flashlight and it makes like an indent very similar to the actual indent that was found on her head so it's like they're trying to come up with the theory that like that was the tool that was used but there was no fingerprints found on the flashlight or the batteries inside the flashlight so it was almost like it was wiped clean which was also another thing saying like if that wasn't the thing that was used then why would it have been wiped clean and why would like that flashlight be the thing that was used like, was that an, an unintentional hit? Like, they just kind of, like, in a fit of anger, like, heat of the moment, hit her with the flashlight? And
3: Yeah, it makes it more suspicious that there's not even, like, a family member's fingerprints on there. Like, somebody used it. But there's, like, it's completely wiped clean because somebody did that on purpose, right? So, and even the batteries, I can't get over, like, how somebody even opened it up wiped even the inside down like that's somebody was thinking for sure (laughs) and also i think it's interesting to note that's why there was like no blood anywhere because they hit her on the head and it kind of cracked her skull and she would have had like internal brain bleeding but like it didn't break the skin so there was not blood everywhere so that's why like they may might not have known how serious the injury was to her head and that maybe they strangled her because of that as well
2: yeah and the uh the flashlight that they were given as a christmas gift supposedly um They didn't claim it themselves and nobody else claimed it as well which i found was very odd
0: yeah like the police said it wasn't theirs and the family said that it didn't belong to them either but the documentary did say yeah that it was a christmas gift that was given to them earlier so it was them but then why would they say it wasn't theirs is that an attempt at a cover-up saying oh it doesn't belong to us so if they did find anything on it and it was honestly and like katie was saying before the fact that it was wiped clean is super sketch like it had to have been wiped down for a certain purpose. Like, if it's just a household flashlight, there's going to be fingerprints on it and there's going to be fingerprints on the batteries at the very least. Unless you're intentionally going in and, like, wiping them down (laughs) after the fact. Um, Yeah, That could kind
3: of back up, like, the family theory that it wasn't them. Like, this flashlight could have been given as a gift and they stashed it away in like, their junk drawer or something and then I don't know. The killer came in and was like rooting through their shit and like found it or something. So they couldn't even remember that it was there. I don't know. That just could be.
0: Yeah, but like again, it goes back to the what kind of disorganized killer is going to go without a weapon already? They're going to like spend the time to write that ransom note and then they're going to spend time trying to find something. Like, get your shit together.
3: They probably didn't intend to use it as a murder weapon. I would think maybe like they didn't want to turn on all the lights in the house. So maybe they like were specifically looking for a flashlight or something or someone knew that it was there and that's what and they just happened to find a flashlight and then they happened to hit her with it
0: maybe. and then but then like that's true i guess that makes sense but then why wouldn't there be fingerprints on it of that person unless they were wearing gloves but if they were
3: yeah well why wouldn't there be fingerprints of like somebody in the house that put it in that drawer right like person that gave it to yeah them yeah or that's something, true right like yeah cause, yeah,
0: that's, yeah that's what i was gonna say because even if that person who did it was wearing gloves there's still gonna be fingerprints on it from before
3: yeah it's sketch that there's no fingerprints it'd be less sketch if there was like patsy's fingerprints i'd be like okay that makes sense
2: it's hers
0: or if it was them or if somehow the family was involved why would she wipe the flashlight clean but then leave all the fingerprints on the notepad and the all of that stuff yeah like because for the same reasoning like if it's inside the house it would make sense to have her have her fingerprints on it so why would she feel the need to wipe it off or would anyone feel the need to wipe it off? And even if it had, like, Burke's fingerprints on it, it's still, like, in the house, so it shouldn't matter who's fingerprints are on, as long as it's someone in, from inside the house.
3: Yeah, it'd make more sense to have one of them have their fingerprints on it. That's why it's so weird.
4: Didn't they say when um, the police showed up or whatever, people were, like, doing the dishes and cleaning the house while the investigation was going on? Think- like, who does that? <laughs> like who's it? Like, who's coming into your house... Like I mean, I guess to console you because you're, you're frantically looking for your child. But like, who comes in and then cleans your house while there's an investigation going on in your house? Like, get the fuck. out. I don't know. Out. Was
0: was that in the documentary? I don't remember hearing yeah. that. But maybe so. they were saying
4: that they were saying that they were doing the dishes. They were like help, help cleaning, clean up and stuff. Like, but why? Like, I don't remember that paint? either. But yeah, it's kind of like a thing where like people will bring
3: food over to you because like you don't so you don't have to like cook, and people will like help you clean so you don't have to worry about cleaning that kind of thing maybe to try to be helpful.
2: Yeah, I don't exactly remember that one from the CBS documentary, but I saw a, like, ABC News clip and they did explain that they were doing dishes, uh, windexing windows, all this kind of stuff, which is so weird because, like, that, that would tamper with the evidence so much. And then the fact that um, John Ramsey... Well, intentionally put a blanket over um his daughter's body like that obviously is going to tamper with the evidence as well as putting it on a carpet that everybody's been walking across the whole time like it's just it's huge red flags there
0: like it's it's crazy to me that like that happened like obviously the fact that people are cleaning the house is crazy but what's even more crazy is that like the police allowed that to happen like who is the person who somebody needs to go in there and be like get the fuck out of this house like it's a crime scene like Haul ass, like get out. We need to like clear it. We need to maintain because like everyone's f- fingerprints are going to be all up in there now. So any chance of getting any like accurate evidence or DNA is going to be complete. and especially on the body itself. Like he's he's touching her. He's bringing her upstairs. He's like, and then the other detective moves her to another location. Like the investigation was screwed from the beginning.
2: Yeah, the police handled the situation like horribly the whole time. Like they should have done a way better job at it. Yeah,
0: what's well, what's well, one of those things where it's like. We see time and time again, like, like police incompetence or like you hear after the fact, like, oh, this could have been solved if like this hadn't been tampered with or like inconclusive testing because of like possibly tampered evidence. It's like people need to get their shit together and then like actually conduct an investigation legitimately.
3: Yeah well you talk about how like the police were kind of told to treat them as victims and not as suspects because they were this wealthy like influential family that lived there. Probably helped a lot that they were white as well. Like so they were just like this family that oh you know don't really touch them. That I think played a big role in it too. Like the police, I remember they were saying like the police had to ask the Ramsey family for permission to come in and search certain things like they couldn't just go in and do it they had to be like oh can we come in which I think is normal like the police kind of had to ask permission if they don't have a warrant but they were the Ramseys would be like no and then so they would have to leave so it was like that kind of thing where it was like untouchable almost
0: that's true and the fact that they were being like you know not as super cooperative as you would expect like every like I feel like we say also time and time again like you are under so much scrutiny in that moment too like no matter what you do it's wrong if you're not cooperative enough it's wrong if you're too cooperative it's wrong they'll find something if you do a polygraph test oh you shouldn't do it because it's non-conclusive if you don't do it oh you have something to hide like i feel like no matter what you do you're kind of screwed so you kind of have to just like it's inevitable that the family is going to be looked at as suspects but like knowing that like every move you make is going to be kind of Criticize either way. So, I don't think there's any like right way to act in that situation because there's going to be someone who's going to be like, well, that's suspicious. But, like, no, sometimes people just do weird things that they can't explain. And it's not like, it's not like because they're guilty of anything. It's just because they're going through like a trauma and they're just reacting. Maybe not in like a way that someone else would.
3: Yeah. Also, another weird thing was how they were saying even before John found John Bonet's body, he had like disappeared for like an hour and a half. Like, he left the scene they didn't even know where he went and so they thought that that was kind of weird like why is he leaving when you think about it like you know maybe he was just like I don't want to be sitting here while my daughter's out there missing like maybe they don't ever say what he did like nobody ever knew like it's not like he was like knocking on the neighbor's doors like or anything nobody ever said anything like that but it kind of makes sense if you're everyone's sitting around when your daughter's missing that he'd be like I'm gonna go out and actually try and do something
0: yeah like maybe he went to the bank to try to get the money or something I don't know but, Like, wouldn't there be a record yeah. of that or like the band? I don't know.
4: I also find it weird that, like, then they say, like, when when the daughter went missing or whatever, and they're interviewing him, they're like, they were like planning a trip out of town
0: on he was, the like, He was like a- arranging for like a flight out of, yeah, to go to some other state, which is yeah. weird. Yeah,
4: which I found that was weird too. Like, trying to maybe get up and like leave type like, situation and, and i
0: believe that was before the body was even found so at that point it's a, yeah. a missing a missing child his daughter's missing but they're gonna plan a trip out of town like wouldn't you want to be there to like make sure that you're like involved in the investigation you're helping with the search like why the would you plan to like just peace out like right away <laughs> it's weird to me
3: yeah that's super suspicious yeah i don't yeah i don't have an explanation for that one
0: but again, it could be another thing of like, no matter what you do, it's wrong. Like, maybe it's a totally innocent explanation. And like, it is, but it is weird. Like, I don't know what I can only speak for myself. Like if someone I loved was missing, I'm not going to like, oh, I'm going to plan a trip to another state and like, you know, go there for a while. It's like, no, I'm going to be like there, like, you know, <laughs> interviewing people myself, like, <laughs> you know, like trying to get to the bottom of it or doing something like how is going away out to another state going to be helpful to anyone. Um, Also another uh, part of the autopsy. So they did, I mentioned it before when I was like doing the summary of the case, but they found like these two marks um, on her lower, I think it was the side of her side, lower left side, uh, these like two marks that it kind of was speculated that it could have been something like a stun gun that was used to subdue her. Um, But in the documentary that we've been referencing a lot, they do like a test of it. They do a stun gun test on someone and like it kind of has a very opposite effect of what they're kind of saying like oh they're using a stun gun to subdue her but like it kind of gives you the opposite it's like adrenaline rush and it's like and an, at least initially it's not going to knock you out or I guess is what I got the conclusion that I got from that testing that they did especially if you're a six year old child it's probably going to have a way heavier impact than like the 40 year old man that they did it on in the documentary if you're a six year old it's going to be way more powerful so I mean maybe it would knock You out, but for him, he was saying like, "No, it gives me adrenaline." Like, I wanted to get away from it. It didn't make me like pass out.
3: I feel like it would definitely make you scream, regardless, like how painful that would have been. Like, she wouldn't have been silent unless her mouth was covered prior, maybe. But you feel like there would have been some sort of sound coming out of her.
0: But like, don't you subdue her? Like, how do you get the duct tape on her mouth without her screaming before? it... Or like, wouldn't you subdue her so that you can do all of that without a fight? I guess I was just
3: thinking like if she was just in bed and they like put the stun gun to her without anything else she would have screamed but i mm, guess yeah you could put like your hand over her mouth do that and then put the duct tape on after she was like subdued
0: yeah that's true um so this mysterious killer came um came into the house with no previous ransom note already planned no murder weapon planned but he had a stun gun that's what he came in with. He made sure he had that stun gun on him so uh, or her, whoever it was. Um so just kind of weird, but there was so that was one theory, But then there was another theory like the the two marks were very similar. Like in the house when they were doing the crime scene videos and stuff, there's like I guess like a train track or like this toy train that belonged to Burke Ramsey and like the track had like these two protrusions outside of it that were like connected to the other track and they say that the exact distance of those two marks would have been very are very similar to like the marks that were found on her body. So it's like said that maybe that was somehow used in some way. I don't really know what they were getting at, if like that was I think they say at one point that like if she was hit over the head with the flashlight and knocked out, then whoever did it like used that to like poke at her to see if she was awake or something.
3: Yeah, they also pointed <laughs> out that it would have had been would have had to have been done post mortem because they could tell that there was no blood flow at the time. So they think it happened after she died. And then whoever did it was, like, yeah, using it to poke her to see if they could get a reaction out of her, seeing if she was dead.
0: But they use the train track versus anything else? Like, why would that be the one thing that this person would use?
3: Yeah. they they wouldn't just touch her? Well, I mean, I don't know. Especially if you think about if it was, if you think, like, maybe it was a kid. Like, if it was actually Burke that did it or something, like, would you want to touch your sister? if you thought they were dead like I don't want to touch a dead body even now right so I feel like using a poking device is like super legit
0: yeah so I guess that was a working theory that like if he knocked her over the head with the flashlight presumably and then she was dead and then he used that to poke at her to see if she was dead and then when she was then but then it makes sense so then that does lead towards more of it being like a child or like Burke Ramsey specifically versus like an intruder because if it was a stun gun why would you tase her after she's dead if it was done postmortem, like you wouldn't have a need to tase her.
3: Yeah, and that documentary said like that. I don't know why they thought they knew like what model they would have used, so the, but the taser that they had, and I'm sure like there are different types of tasers. They said that they like the prongs didn't add or they didn't match up, like the holes and where the ends of the ends of the taser like didn't match, so it couldn't have been a taser. Um, well, and I was like, well, there's probably different sizes of tasers so that was kind of like i don't know maybe weak on their part but also um i was watching like there's a dr oz episode and i know dr oz isn't like the most reputable but he was talking to people that um knew what they were talking about so in this dr oz episode yeah so it was actually a dr oz true crime um and it aired in february of 2021 he was talking to Lou Smith's daughter. And Lou Smith was like an agent that had passed away but he did a lot of work on this case and it was kind of his theory that it was an intruder and it was a stun gun so that's kind of where all that came from was from him. So his daughter was kind of like following up on some of the research after he died and um, they were saying that if you zoom in closer on those marks on her body that they don't match with the train track because the train track ends were like circular And the marks on jean Bonnet were more rectangular, which actually did match up with a stun gun that they had, that they were comparing it to. It was the same shape and distance apart. So they're saying, like, this model of stun gun actually did match up better than the train tracks they were saying before. So that's just another theory, another angle.
0: Yeah, so... Obviously, no one knows what those two marks are from, but I've never really heard anything else other than either a Taser or that train track. Like, those are the only two things I've ever heard or ever seen. So, is there possibly, like, another explanation? Like, who knows? There could be a million things that have... You know, shaped like that or something. But um, I want to talk about also going back to like the autopsy and like the body. The big chunk of the documentary is about like DNA that was found on John Bonnet's underwear that like didn't belong to anyone in the Ramsey family because they did DNA testing. Um, and it belonged to like an unknown male, um, which kind of bolsters the um intruder theory that it was someone outside of the family. And then when they did testing, or like in the documentary. Um, they did testing like they brought a brand new pack of underwear and like they did testing on it and they did find traces of like DNA on that which like <laughs> grossed me out um, like, I was cringing the entire time that they were doing that because you know I guess wash it when you open that <laughs> it's, like gross but um, yeah so they were just trying to say like it is possible that there could be like the DNA from like the manufacturer um, so that could be why and obviously if they ran like the dna testing that they did find on john bonnet's underwear like if they tested it and it didn't belong they didn't find a match of a person then obviously it wasn't someone who was already in the system and because the theory was for a long time because she was in the pageant world that it was like possibly some sex offender who was like you know um like in the audience of her pageants or was like infatuated with her who like broke into the house and did that so it was like a sex offender and they also there was apparently a bunch of sex offenders living in the area around the ha- their house that actually but obviously it wasn't someone who was a registered sex offender because their dna would have been in the system so it was somebody who had never committed an act like that before or at least never gotten caught before because the dna was never actually confirmed or matched a person as far as i know they said it was a male but that it didn't match any person specifically um so what did you guys think of like that part
4: Weird that there's, like, DNA on, like, unopened package of underwear. Like, gross. <laughs> like, maybe we should be washing our undergarments from here on out when we buy them. I don't know. I just find, like, you think even her, like, not even her DNA was on it?
0: I'm pretty sure her DNA was.
4: Oh, okay. Cause I was going to say, like, that'd be really odd. But, um... but
0: they found the DNA of an unknown person, which is, like, oh, what okay. they use to kind of say, oh, it was an intruder, because if it was someone in the family... I could possibly... Yeah, they actually
3: their- used that saying that it wasn't part of the family to, like, exonerate the family and say, oh, it's not their DNA, so it wasn't them that did it. And then this documentary pointed out, well, I mean, it could have been just from the underwear. Whoever packaged it, it could have been their DNA. So, uh, yeah. And it is super gross that that's a thing. And, like, thinking about this documentary, I'm like, I wonder how many times they tested underwear to see like was that their first try and they happened to find DNA or did they like try before that like was this the hundredth pair like I like to see like the percentage of like you know what I mean like how many times they tested to see if there was DNA and there was because I think that's important but they just kind of presented it as oh here's a random package and there happens to be random DNA
0: yeah that's true but I guess I mean the point is that it still is possible that it could happen like it would happen on that one piece it might not be super common or it might be super rare but they were able to do it when they even if it was like the 100th package like it still could have been like obviously it's possible
3: yeah i guess that was their point that they were trying to make
0: but yeah they do present it as like oh this is our very first try we're gonna open this random pack that we just bought and then oh look at that so i feel like it's all about the editing too like how they edit it together and what they what they don't show versus what they show
2: yeah They definitely shouldn't have ruled the Ramseys out just based on that. But anyway, that's just my opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so much more, so many more things that like do point to that it's possibly someone in the family for them to like, so for them to like rule them out based on that one thing. Well, I mean, DNA evidence is pretty credible. Like obviously it's a huge thing, but if it does have this other explanation, like that would make me question. And was that something that was presented at the grand jury? trial like was that something and they still voted to indict even if that was presented so obviously they didn't feel confident in that either unless that came out after the fact oh sorry
2: that's okay I also found the DNA of an unknown male um, underneath John Bonet's fingertips or uh, fingernails as well which I guess could be related to that Uh, that could be unrelated or could be related to the uh, the underwear as well
0: Oh, that's true. Did they say that in the CBS document? I don't remember them saying that, but I guess if they...
3: I don't think they said that documentary but I definitely remember hearing it somewhere else which makes me think like, yeah, where did that come from and whose is that?
0: Oh, yeah, that is oh, my thoughts are changing. <laughs> um, no, no um, Yeah, I feel like I, that sounds vaguely familiar, but yeah, that yeah, who is that then? Like if it was someone that she was trying to fight off and like dug her nails into like someone's skin or something
2: well i was also trying to do some research on like how long dna can stay underneath your fingernails for but i couldn't really find a precise answer from google but again it could have been something that happened a long time ago it could have been like her trying to scratch off her defender it really it's it's really hard to say at this point
0: yeah that is true that would be a good point because if it can stay for a long period of time like but i mean i'm assuming she's washing her hands somewhat frequently but she's a child so i don't know
3: yeah, I was going to say, she's six years old. <laughs> she probably doesn't wash her hands very often. <laughs> um, yes. like, it it could have been from any... Like, it could have been from, like, you know, school. make like, she was playing or fighting with the kid. Mm-hmm. Or, like, part of the pageant. She was just, like... I don't know. I, well, it, weird that it's a male. But, yeah. It's interesting. It could have been from anywhere, though.
0: Yeah. She's at pageants. Like, is she shaking people's hands? Like, is that? I don't know. I don't know what happens at pageants. <laughs> but... Is that something they would do? Like, it's possible, too, if she's, you know, interacting with a lot of people. Um, That could be something, too. But yeah, it is weird. I didn't actually, wasn't even, I forgot about that piece of information. So that doesn't look good for, I mean, that kind of goes towards the imposter theory or intruder theory, for sure.
4: Yeah, I never, I didn't, I didn't hear that, the fingernail thing. So that really intrigues me as well.
0: And and that's the thing about this case, too, is that there's so there is so much on either side or at least something on either side. Like, it's never definitive. Like, just when you think you have an answer, you might think what you have. But then there's this other thing that totally might make that other stuff invalid.
3: Yeah. And that's why I think it's like, you could, like if you just watch that one CBS documentary that we've been talking about this whole time, you'd be like, oh, like it definitely could have been the family because they're very much focused on like you know, that it was a family. So they're very one-sided, which I think most of these documentaries are like trying to prove a point on one side or the other. So it's like, it's important to remember that you do have to like kind of take everything you hear with a grain of salt because they're only representing that one side trying to convince you, which is easy to do with this kind of case where there's like so much on each side.
0: Yeah. And I was, and I was, I did make a note of that too. And I was like, it's very clear that that CBS documentary was against the family. Like, very clear. Just based on everything. Um, Like, there's not one shred of anything that they present from the other side.
2: No,
3: they ignore Uh, everything that could be against the family.
0: Yeah, which obviously, I mean... mean, Yeah,
3: that could be for the family.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, obviously would if you're trying to... Any documentary, I feel like, is going to be biased in some way. Like, it's probably very hard to find one that is, like just presents every single fact i mean maybe there is i don't know but yeah i could tell when i was watching that cbs one that it was very lopsided but even the 2021 that came out actually just in january 2021 it was kind of similar to the cbs one maybe it was a little less noticeably biased but it still was kind of like made me lean towards it was possibly someone in the family like i didn't walk away from that one thinking like oh it's definitely up in the air like i kind of did have still have was leaning towards one side So the final sort of thing, I feel like the last thing in this part that we'll talk about is the, which we didn't really talk about yet, but um, is like the pineapple that actually ended up being, it's weird that like something so simple as pineapple is like such a big part of the case, but um, there was like a bowl of pineapple. like It was like milk. It was like pineapple with milk and a bowl and a spoon in it that was like in the crime. You can see it in the crime scene videos when they're doing that, um, which might seem super insignificant, but when they did the autopsy, John Bonnet, there was like fragments of something that said was like something like fruit, which could have been like pineapple that was in her stomach and hadn't fully digested, which suggested that she did eat it like relatively soon before she was killed. So there was like a possible theory that she had woken up in the middle of the night and ate some pineapple, someone gave her pineapple, or that Burke was like down there eating it, eating some, and then she like stole a piece of it, and then he got super angry and like killed her in a fit of rage which seems to me like a stretch um but the fact that she had like that in her system so obviously she ate pineapple like before and i don't know if they said the exact like amount of time it was before but like if she went to bed at like nine when they got home she was sleeping and she was sleeping the whole time if she had eaten it at dinner the night before like i feel like maybe it would be fully digested before that So, like, the fact that it wasn't was, like, it had to have been after that.
3: Yeah, and they had mentioned that, like, her dinner was already fully digested and gone. So, that was, like, the only thing they could clearly see. So, it was, like, definitely hours after her dinner had already been digested. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And there was um, when they ran fingerprints on the bowl and the spoon it had Burke's fingerprints on the bowl. Um,
3: It also had Patsy's fingerprints on the bowl. Yes. Which makes sense, because she probably is the one that washed it and put it away (laughs) and then maybe burke took it out of the cupboard
0: yeah that's true yeah
3: right yeah like people focus on that and i'm just like well of course like of course the mother's probably you know the one that put the dishes away and spoon probably put the spoon away as well
0: yeah like obviously yeah because you wash it but then you touch it again to put it away so obviously whoever put it away you don't think fucking burke's gonna put it away so um like obviously it was her
3: yeah and they were also talking about how the spoon was like big like too big for the bowl and Patsy was like oh I would never have given Burke that big of a spoon because it just looks weird like it, it doesn't fit like so she was bigger like I didn't prepare that dish like I wouldn't have done that so it's just kind of been like yeah it must have been Burke that just grabbed a spoon for himself which is weird but that's what she said
0: but I just have a hard time believing that like Burke would kill her over stealing a piece of his pineapple. (laughs) Like To me that's like such a stretch. It's like oh we have this theory we need to like make it fit.
4: In this documentary that we keep referencing from they were talking to our family friend and this woman was saying that like Burke had like fits of rage here and there. Like he would get angry like just out of nowhere and like things would set him off like easily. Like they said one time that like he had swung a golf club and like hit uh, john bonnet like below the eye with the go- like with the golf ball or something like that or club i mean so like
0: yeah he did,
4: yeah so he did have like times where he would just like get angry like, i don't know where so to me it's believable that if she like you know how a sibling would take like a food from somebody because that's commonly what they do if, if you're eating something the other sibling is going to come over and take something from you and he could have just got mad and Picked up that flashlight well, I, yeah. and smacked over there. Well,
0: then they said, but the, the bowl and the spoon didn't have John Bonet's DNA on it. So they were thinking, like, it, if mm-hmm. she just like reached into the bowl with her hands to get the pineapple, she didn't use the spoon or she didn't touch the bowl in any way.
4: Which is a common thing a child her age would probably do. Like, to be mm-hmm. honest, my da- my daughter takes my food off my plate all the time. She doesn't take the whole plate, she just takes the food off of it. Mm-hmm. So it's a common thing that kids do randomly.
0: Yeah. It's or not- if someone fed her the pineapple
4: yeah that's true and too. she
0: didn't have to touch the bowl but then it's like who would have done that like that's also weird it's an intruder oh come have some pineapple let's spend some more time in this house let's spend as much time in this house as possible like I mean, that's so weird but and then I, I, I and then I don't think they ever said if she was given I don't think she would have been given any like snack before she went to bed because she was sleeping when they got home right so that's not a possibility either it had to be after they got home, after she was sleeping.
3: Yeah, I think they presented it as like she had woken up randomly and went downstairs and like saw Burke eating it. So she grabbed some from him.
4: There's like no timeline that really like shows of like what time Burke was still up and that she came downstairs. Like they don't really say like this, is like two o'clock in the morning. Like how late in the night is this?
0: And apparently he sleeps very heavily and doesn't hear anything. But yet he gets up in the middle of the night. Like, I feel like somebody who's a deep sleeper would just sleep right through the night. Why would you be up in the middle of the night?
4: But uh, I don't think he was... He wasn't asleep when they got home, though.
0: He no, stayed at, up... Like, two in uh, the morning, he would be, probably. Asleep.
4: Yeah. Also, he had
3: just gotten a, like, Nintendo for Christmas, and he was probably super pumped about it. Maybe he was, like, excited and wanted to, like, sneak down and play some Nintendo. Like, maybe he was already awake and was hungry or something. So... Like, he, could, he might not even went to sleep that night, or he might have just woken up randomly and went downstairs, so...
0: Yeah, that's true. Because like kids are excited at Christmas and stuff, so it was the night after Christmas, but like still he wants to play with his the toys he got. So Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so that whole pineapple thing, um, and like the possible explanations for it, it like kind of leads into or is one of the big reasons or a big piece of evidence or speculation that people are using to say that possibly Burke himself did it. But we'll get more into that specific theory in the second part. Um, so we're going to break kind of break down like the three main theories in this case. And uh, we'll talk about like the things that help that case or against that case. And we'll kind of break it down that way in the second part. So we will be back for part two. It's released the same day, so you don't have to wait a week for it. It will be out. Scroll up on your podcast app and see it. But yes, i um, uh, follow us on instagram at crime family podcast uh, follow us on twitter at crime family pod one and we do have an email crime family podcast at gmail.com send us case suggestions for our second season if you want to hear a case maybe we'll we'll talk about it and also in the second part here we are going to get some viewer suggestions because we did get some theories or some comments submitted from some of our listeners so we are going to go over those in the second part as well so more to talk about take care
4: bye <laughs> <laughs> bye bye, bye.